Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode of For Real is brought to you by the Book Riot Journal. Created by Book Riot, this smartly designed reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. Evenly interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by Book Riot's annual Read Harder initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. Indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books, get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant, find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press, and so much more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quotation and explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding and five book recommendations that fulfill the challenge. You can find out more about the Read Harder Journal at bookriot.com slash readharderjournal. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or try to. We'll, rec- we'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Yukara. We're recording on Thursday, December 6th. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you? Uh, I'm swell. I'm sitting here with this peppermint chocolate tea thing, and uh, I'm see <laughs> how it is as soon as this steeping process is finished, which I don't drink tea as we were just discussing before we started recording. And uh, Mm -hmm. I am mystified by how it works, but I'm willing to try it. You just put the tea in hot water and let it sit there for a while and then you drink it. It's not like, it's not like rocket science or anything. I feel like you're trying to trick me by making it sound simple. (laughs) (laughs) No, I promise it is, it is not hard. You will be able to drink your tea very soon. Um, so it was funny. I'm, I'm glad that the read harder journal was our pre-roll ad because that actually means we could mention the read harder challenge, which I am, I want to bring it up mostly to brag that this is the first year I think I'm actually going to finish it. Like I, every year I, I resolve that I'm going to complete the read harder challenge and I, I never do. Uh, but this year I am, I am poised to finish and I am so excited. So you did in fact read harder this year. I did read harder, although I have to admit I cheated just a little bit. And there were a couple of prompts that I think they wanted you to complete with fiction. And I ended up completing them with the nonfiction books. Um, one was a work of post-colonial literature. Um, and I read a, a post-colonial memoir. So a memoir about uh, refugees escaping from uh, Rwanda, I think. Um, and so I counted that. And then they wanted you to read a Western. And I didn't read a Western. I read Laura Ingalls Wilder's biography, which takes place in the West. So... I'm counting it. So I, I maybe cheated just a little bit, but I feel, like- I feel like making it more nonfiction makes it even harder. And so I like read extra hard instead. I was about to say, I feel like if anything, it's more impressive. So great job. Yeah. So I have to read two more books this month and then I then I have done it and I am very, 
very proud of myself for that. So amazing. Yeah. So any anything you want to share? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. This is our last episode of 2018, which is exciting is. for real. Started this year, so we have only known 2018 as a for real year. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll see what <laughs> every year before that was fake. <laughs> But uh, we'll see what 2019 brings. Um, but yeah, no, and I'm I'm excited about this episode. I think we've uh, it's a little different, and uh, it is yeah. Yes. But since we've got the holidays coming up, what are your holiday plans? Um, so uh, my sister and I are hosting a big Christmas party uh, this coming weekend. So we'll have already hosted once people are listening to the episode. Um, we do for the last two years. This will be our third. We've done a hot chocolate themed holiday party. Uh, and this year it is a Hogwarts hot chocolate holiday hoorah because we have this big um, Lego Harry Potter castle, Lego Hogwarts castle that we put together uh, that's going to be on display at the party. So it's Harry Potter themed Uh and then we go up to my parents' cabin or my parents' house, which is in rural northern Wisconsin, um, for a long for the whole like Christmas weekend and part of the week. So it's very chill and relaxing, and we don't travel very much once we get there. So that should be should be a good Christmas. How about you? Uh, well, wait. Uh, I want to put a pin in that and go back to where you said yeah. hot chocolate holiday party. So is there like, like do you guys have like amazing like things to put in the hot chocolate? Like what makes it like a hot chocolate themed party? Yes. So we have hot chocolate and then we actually have hot apple cider too. And then we have lots of booze that you can mix into both drinks and then lots of stuff you can put on them. So marshmallows and whipped cream and sprinkles and syrups and um, like crushed up candy canes and all sorts of like stuff you can do to deck out your hot chocolate. Um, but I think that the booze is the most exciting part. I wish you could see my face right now because it's just like sheer I'm like <laughs> dumbstruck but also just like sheerly amazed. Um that sounds fantastic and please do a blog post telling us how we can also have maybe even just by ourselves a hot chocolate holiday party. Uh wow, that is great. I I've like completely sorry like lost my own train of thought around what my holiday plans are because I just keep thinking about all the things you can put in hot chocolate. <laughs> okay. No. Um, my girlfriend and I, she's going, of course, like to the Caribbean or something with her family for while I'm in Chicago freezing uh, for the holidays. It's fine. <laughs> but um, I'll just be enjoying real Christmas weather while she's in someplace warm. Um, but uh, we are planning at some point to go to – so in Chicago, what used to be Marshall Fields and is now a Macy's, which uh, at the time my mother was absolutely aghast mm. about um, that takeover. They have a place called the Walnut Room that's been around since, you know, it was Marshall Fields. And there's a giant Christmas tree and it always has like differently themed decorations and stuff. And um, I really like going there. It's very touristy, but uh, I'm kind of a big fan of some really touristy things. So uh, I like going there for like you basically get lunch there and sit and stare at the tree. That sounds super fun. That sounds like a good a good holiday plan. Um, so uh, 
I guess we'll get into the episode since we are we are on our way. So this episode, like we said, is going to be a little bit different. Um, we're skipping new books because it's the end of the year. There's not a lot of December stuff we were super excited about. And we thought it would be more fun to spend the bulk of the episode talking about books that have already come out this year that are on best of list that were some of our favorites, um, you know, favorites that we read this year, not necessarily that came out. Um, but before we get to that, uh, we wanted to first do a segment about Jane Austen because it is very soon going to be Jane Austen's birthday. And so we thought we would do some nonfiction related to Jane Austen. Um, and I'm going to let you okay, go first, Alice. So I'm very excited that we are finally doing a Jane Austen episode. I have been talking, <laughs> or maybe I actually haven't mentioned this to you, Kim, but I have been wanting to do a Jane Austen episode for maybe since we actually started. Oh, yeah. uh, so, but her birthday is December 16th. Uh, she was born in 1775. So she will be 243 this year. Happy birthday, Jane Austen. Um, but so I, Kim and I, we were talking about doing it and we decided to break it up so that Kim was doing kind of like cultural Jane Austen, you know, like things that, um, Mm -hmm. are, we're still talking about today and how she affects culture. And I was going to do more of her sort of like biographical stuff in the world she lived in. Um, so I went to the main branch of the Chicago public library to do research because, you know, we care about you all and we want to make sure you get good information. (laughs) So, uh, especially on this topic, which if any, like, serious, serious Jane Austen fans are listening. We are sorry. Neither of us is an Austen scholar. No. I've read all of her novels, but uh, not much beyond that. Anyway, so... So, so my, my, my dirty secret is that I actually have never read a Jane Austen novel. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I know, I'm not laughing at you. I was just shocked that you admitted that on our podcast because that's so brave. I know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. My sister loves Jane Austen, and I've watched all like I've watched many of the movies and miniseries and stuff with her. But I've actually never, that I can remember, read one of her books. So that's my like super shame as an English major and reading person. Maybe you should read harder, <laughs> Kim. Let's just <laughs> think about that for a second. Okay. All right. So anyway, continue. Turning to. Me standing on the sixth, well, at, on the sixth floor. Yes, at the main branch of the Chicago Public Library. No, seventh floor. I'm so sorry. How hideously embarrassing. Uh, so, in their Jane Austen biographical sort of nonfiction section, uh, they have 63 separate titles that have to do wow. with Austen on the shelf. So that's not counting the ones checked out. It was just what was on the shelf, 63 different titles. Wow. Yeah, I was like uh, generally amazed. I think the only person who was comparable was uh charles dickens which is unsurprising um but Mm -hmm. it's a you know so that's another reason we wanted to talk about her is you know this this person who only wrote six novels uh i'm Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm gonna hazard that number um she uh who died in her 40s and uh was of course not super popular in her own time but she has had this huge immense effect on the culture and you know everyone if you say like if you refer to Jane, basically, actually a lot of people, if you're t- in certain contexts, will know what you're talking about. Like she is, uh, has just made such an indelible mark on the culture that it's, it's amazing. And I know a lot of mm-hmm. people have kind of tried to figure out why, you know, in particular she did this. So if you are wanting to find that out or look more into her life, this is why we're doing this. So the titles that I saw include Reading Austin in America, A Truth Universally Acknowledged, At Home with Jane Austen, Tea with Jane Austen. 
Uh, Jane Austen and the fiction of her time. What matters in Jane Austen? A brief guide to Jane Austen and many, many more. So there's basically, no matter what you're looking for about her, there was also something about her nieces and their time in Ireland. So they've just, yeah, they've covered like all topics. So Kim, you're going to take us away with this. Yes. Yeah. So when we were talking about different types of Jane Austen nonfiction we could talk about, we thought that, so I thought I was more interested in uh, Jane Austen in contemporary culture and sort of what the contemporary scene around Jane Austen is and why she sort of has still hung on uh, despite all the stuff you mentioned earlier. So um, the first book that I found that I read and really enjoyed uh, was called Among the Janeites, A Journey Through the World of Jane Austen by Deborah Yaffe. Um, And it is a book that is just touching on all sorts of different aspects of contemporary Jane Austen culture. Um, So she kind of, so she's a, the author is a really big Jane Austen fan. And so through the book, she explores how how Austin has gone from this classic novelist to essentially a pop culture phenomenon and why um, there are such passionate fans among Janeites and why, why she inspires such passion in those people. Um, and so the book is very, it's a almost like a series of mini profiles of all of these people that she meets during the period of time that she's doing her research. So she meets um, this guy that basically tries to argue like with anyone who will listen to him, that there's a darker subtext to every Jane Austen story. And that if you read kind of under or between the lines, there's like, infidelity and uh, secret pregnancies and all this other kind of really dark stuff. Um, She profiles a bunch of different like fan fiction and romance writers who have made their um, become famous or made money or really become authors in their own right because of writing about Jane Austen and her characters. Um, She also, my favorite is this uh, literature professor who studies Jane Austen and everything, but also is a roller derby person. And her roller derby name is Stone Cold Jane Austen, (laughs) which is amazing. Uh, That's just so cool. So uh, in the book, she travels to different Jane uh, Jane Austen sites, uh, talks about them. She goes to uh, some conferences, including a big Jasna conference, the annual meeting. Um, She talks throughout the book about her um, purchase of a dress, a Regency era dress to wear to the ball that happens at that annual conference every year. and just, it's so interesting. It's just a really nice kind of, I think, overview of Jane Austen culture. Um, the one thing I will say, the book was written and published in 2013, I think. Um, and so there's a, a couple of chapters on Jane Austen fan communities on the internet. And those felt um, just a little bit dated to me. Um, like even in like five years, it feels like that online community has changed in some pretty significant ways, even not being a really big part of it. So um so that, that was one part of it that I feel like is maybe going to make the, the book feel dated. But otherwise, I just really enjoyed it. It was a fun kind of overview, really lightly written, um, fun and easy kind of look at Jane Austen in contemporary culture. So uh, that was called Among the Janeites, A Journey Through the World of Jane Austen by Deborah Yaffe. I love when uh, when authors and journalists go to the, the Jasna conference um yeah. that was like uh i absolutely forget the title but i recommended it earlier this year about that man who decided to kind of because his mm-hmm. mom was like a super jane austen scholar and so he grew up yeah. in that and mm-hmm. he was like oh like what's this really all about um he was camp austin that sounds right anyway so in terms of oh so okay so i have two recommendations for each of my sort of picks so really four but i'm being sneaky here so The first category that I broke it up into was um, straight up biographies. So if you're just like, I'm really interested in who Jane Austen was, you know, as a person, I know that we don't have that much info. Um, She's another one of those celebrated figures whose 
Um, unfortunately, relatives decided they wanted to make sure that her image was, you know, clean for posterity. And so a lot of her letters were mm-hmm. burned and a lot of her uh, writings were kind of uh, censored in some way. So um, we have a lot of letters to her sister, Cassandra, which uh, have my favorite quotes of hers, maybe. She's very, very funny. Um, but a lot of – we just don't know a lot about her. And when I was trying to figure all this out, I was actually thinking – sorry, quick sidebar – because I was like, what if someone was like, I'm going – like they were decided to write a biography about me after I had died. And I was like, they would have zero idea about my actual like thoughts and life. You know what I mean? Like you can look at someone's like outside mm-hmm. actions but and maybe read some of their letters or emails nowadays. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like it's it's actually quite impossible to – uh, write a biography. Um, I actually think I woke up. Yeah, with, it's definitely gonna be different. Well, I woke up this morning. I think it's gonna. Sorry, go on. I was just gonna say, yeah, I think you're right. It's gonna be people doing biographies of people living today. It's gonna like the whole process is gonna be really different, given how much of our lives are lived online and how much we don't record things in other places anymore. Yeah. Oh, fun sidebar. Yeah, no, I woke up this morning and I said to my girlfriend, I was like. The genre of biography really seems like a feudal process. And she was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? It's like 7 a.m. But I was thinking about it a lot. Um, Anyway, so with that being said, if you would like to read a biography of Jane Austen, um, I found a short one and then kind of like your standard, this is, if you want to get more into it, this is probably the one to go with. So the short read is Jane Austen by Carol Shields. Um, Carol Shields is, uh, she wrote the novel, uh, The Stone Diaries, which won the Pulitzer for fiction in 1993. It's less than 200 pages. She clearly loves her subject and it's just, it's a good, like quick kind of, you know, like getting the facts of her life book. Mm -hmm. So um, again, that's Jane Austen by Carol Shields. And the other uh, is, again, it's a standard bio by a respected biographer and that's Jane Austen, A Life, you know, not neither of them is the most imaginatively titled, but we <laughs> can get into those later. Um, so this is by Claire Tomlin, who, you know, has written biographies of Dickens and Dickens's mistress and a lot of sort of 19th century literary figures and uh, is extremely good at what she does. So if you, again, kind of want to get more into it, um, I would recommend Jane Austen, A Life by Claire Tomlin. Excellent. Good picks. Um, So my second pick is also another, obviously, Jane Austen culture one. And uh, the book is called All Roads Lead to Austen, A Year-Long Journey with Jane by Amy Smith. And this is another one that came out uh, in 2012. Um, And it is basically like reading Lolita in Tehran, except it's Jane Austen in Latin America. Um, And it is not like super smart of me to say that because she says that right in the very intro of the book. She's like, I remembered reading Lolita in Tehran and I wanted to do the same thing. So uh, what Amy Smith does is she decides that that um, as part of, I think, a sabbatical she's taking from her university job, she decided, and she also um, had spent some time trying to learn Spanish. And so she decided to visit six different Spanish-speaking countries and host six different Spanish-language book clubs, one around each of Jane Austen's novels. Uh, And so she finds a group of people in each of the countries she visits and then um, gets them to read the novel. And then they have a Spanish book club in Spanish discussing it. Um, And so then while she's organizing the book clubs and doing this traveling through Latin America and different countries, she also um, connects with different people who live in those countries and tries to learn more about that country's literary culture and how it has changed over time and who some of the major authors are. So it's kind of Jane Austen in Latin America, but also what 
what are some of the big Latin American authors and writers that we are interested in or that we we might want to know about. Um, so it's really interesting um, in that way. So I haven't gotten all the way through this one. I've gotten through the first couple of chapters where she goes um, to one country and her does her first book club. Um, I think I think with Pride and Prejudice. Gosh, now I'm having a total blank moment. But anyway, um, and it's very charming. Like it's, she's like a fun, interesting person. She is uh, interviewing really cool people in these different countries and learning a lot about them and what, um, how Jane Austen translates in different languages in the same kind of a way. Um, some of the stuff that translates and some of it that doesn't really. Um, there is this like kind of love story in the background where she alludes to like her own finding her Mr. Darcy, um, which I cannot decide if I find charming or annoying yet. I feel like it's going to kind of depend on like how it continues in the book. But um, so far, I think it's it's been fun. So uh, if you like kind of Jane Austen and multiculturalism kind of stuff, um, and really, if you liked reading Lolita and Tehran, I think this one is definitely in the same vein. Uh, the book is All Roads Lead to Austin, A Year-Long Journey with Jane by Amy Smith. Um, so it just struck me while you were saying that, do you think the popularity of Pride and Prejudice is, and that kind of relationship between Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy, which I'm assuming you know from mm-hmm. popular culture. Yep. Oh, fantastic. So do you think that that is why we have that trope of like, you know, like the guy and the girl hate each other, but like, oh, actually, you know what? That's in Much Ado About Nothing. Never mind. I take back my <laughs> observation. <laughs> Not Jane I was Austen's like, oh my fun. gosh, I've cracked it. Nope. It was already there. Um... But I do think that it, it aided that because it's actually a trope that I hate where it's like, oh, hey, if you argue a lot with someone, you guys are probably going to end up together. And it's like, <laughs> no, you should probably not be with that person. Oh, gosh. Anyway, sorry. Be with whoever you want to be with. It's none of my business. <laughs> um, so uh, end of the year. Um, Indeed. So my other two picks are more sort of like uh in in context books that are sort of giving you some background info on like you know what was happening in the world of Jane Austen and you know like how how can you put these books again like kind of in it gives it gives you a frame of reference for that. And mm-hmm. also one of them sort of um goes into her fame over time and kind of like how that kept growing. Cause again when when she was first writing it wasn't mm-hmm. anywhere near where it is now. Um so the first one is Jane Austen, The World of Her Novels by Deidre Le Fay, um, which again is is more sort of like, okay, so you're in England in like 1810 to 18, I don't know, 17 or something. Um, actually, wait, I think Northanger Abbey was written in like 1798. You guys don't need to know this. It's fine. Anyway, so an approximate 20 year span when Jane Austen was writing books. Um, so it just shows you what that world was like. It gives you some like nice photos. Um, I thought it was just a great book. I think I checked it out. Um, I don't remember because I have too many books from the library checked out. And also I've looked at so many Jane Austen books in the last two days. So (laughs) the other one is Jane's fame, how Jane Austen conquered the world by Claire Harmon, um, which from uh, actually Booklist's review, shout out to Booklist, said uh, essentially is about how did Jane Austen get to be such a hot commodity? Claire Harmon delves into this question by examining Austen's literary reputation and appeal over the years. So um, essentially, 
uh, Austin's family members kind of represented her as wanting a little to do with the fate of her books, but she actually was extremely interested in being, you know, like this recognized author. And actually in a lot of the um, biographies that I was looking at, they all kind of told the same story of her um, reading books with as a child with like the eye of an author. So being like, oh, when mm. I write, like I'm going to do this with my characters. And just like from a very early age being like, this is what I'm going to do. And it's also really interesting because her family – was they were all very like smart, funny people, it seems like, and uh, also talented in different ways. So she kind mm-hmm. of, it was one of those situations where she had to like find a way to stand out. So yeah. um, for her, that's, but they tell the story, I think Claire Harmon, maybe not Claire Harmon, um, the famed biographer I just mentioned, good Lord. Tomlin? Yes, thank you so much, Claire. Oh, they both have the name Claire. Claire Tomlin talks about in hers that uh, Virginia Woolf gives this image of Jane Austen as kind of like writing in the living room because there was no private space. And you're like, like covering up her works with like, uh, with a piece of paper so that other people couldn't see that she was writing. And uh, Claire Tomlin is like, this is ridiculous. Like she was extremely proud that she was an author and her whole family knew. And you know, like it was this, um, this odd misstep by Woolf. But anyway... So either one of those, either if you kind of want to see, you know, like how she became this celebrated figure, that would be Jane's Fame by Claire Harmon. Or if you want to know more about the the world of her novels, that would be Jane Austen, The World of Her Novels by Deidre Le Fay. Um, oh, and I wanted to close Is, out by... Oh, sorry, can I what? interrupt quick? Uh, did Claire Harmon, did she write that Charlotte Bronte biography that came out a couple of years ago too? I, I think so. I I'm going to so go too. with a, a very p- strong likelihood for that. Okay. Uh, as I immediately Google it, yes, she wrote Charlotte Bronte, A Fiery Heart. Okay. Cool. You like it or not? I did. I liked that one. It was good. Yeah. Um, oh, I wanted to close on fun titles that I found while I was uh, browsing, which just two of them are Jane Austen Game Theorist by Michael Sukyung Che and Why Jane Austen? by Rachel W. Brownstein, which features the Jane Austen action figure on the cover, and it looks like a really fun book. Those both sound really fun, too. Yeah. So happy birthday, Jane Austen. Happy birthday. Thank you for having so many good books and books written about you, and I will read one of her novels someday. Someday. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Next, we're going to go to our our sponsor for this week. Um, So this week, we are sponsored by The Molecule of More by Daniel Z. Lieberman and Mike Long. Uh, So in The Molecule of More, authors Daniel Lieberman and Michael Long show how the brain chemical dopamine can explain an array of human behaviors previously thought to be unrelated, including why winners cheat, why geniuses often suffer with mental illness, why nearly all diets fail, and why the brains of liberals and conservatives really are different. Um, So it is about dopamine, what dopamine is, why some of us produce more and some of us produce less, um, why those different dopamine levels can, or what those different dopamine levels can tell us about love, politics, and creativity. Um, And also talks about how dopamine can be the root cause for the political divide in today's political climate, which seems super interesting. Uh, It also explores questions like how dopamine explains why we tend to want to partner less once we're in a relationship with them uh, and why it is not your willpower's fault, but your brain's fault that diets will often fail. Uh, So this sounds super interesting and like a good science-y book. So that is The Molecule of More by Daniel Z. Lieberman and Mike Long. 
So with that, we're going to shift gears away from Jane Austen and start talking about books of the year, books of 2018. And so the first uh, way we thought we would do this is looking at some uh, best of the year lists from different critics and uh, other groups. So um, I have picked two major newspaper uh, best of lists because I'm into major news. I'm into newspapers because I used to be a journalist, but also um, my book club. I'm in a book club that reads uh, the tap, the New York Times top 10 books of the year. So in the 2008, we're going to read them all in 2019. So I always look for that list and kind of compare it to other newspaper critic lists. Um, and Alice, you have picked a, a more, a different kind of one. Do you want to talk about your list quick? And then I'll go back to talking about the books on the, the two big ones. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I thought it would be really fun if we kind of approach this from really different vantage points. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think that there's a lot of merit to looking at, you know, the major news publications, but a lot of those lists after a while tend to look the same. It's kind of like a award season, you know, a lot of the same books get Mm -hmm. nominated. Um, So I went with uh, popsugar.com's best uh, picks. They actually had 17 nonfiction books and I picked their top 10. Oh, nice. That's exciting. I'm excited to hear those. But um, first, I'm just going to talk through um, New York Times and Washington, the New York Times top 10 books of 2018 and the Washington Post best books of 2018. Um, and I actually think the Washington Post, so they, the both of them have their top 10 books, five are nonfiction and five are fiction. So we're going to talk about the five nonfiction books on each list. Um, and I actually think the Washington Post list is, it looks a little bit more interesting just for my personal tastes, but uh, the New York Times one is the one that I will be reading. So I will do that. So the first book on the New York Times list uh, is uh, called American Prison by Shane Bauer. And it is a book about, um, he basically goes, I don't know if it's undercover exactly, but he goes inside the uh, a reporter's undercover journey into the business of punishment. So he's going to go um, work undercover as a prison guard at a correctional, a privately run prison. Um, so he works there for about four months and then um, writes about it for first for Mother Jones magazine and then now uh, for this book, um, which I think sounds super interesting. And there's a, a book, um, a classic work of narrative nonfiction, New Jack by Ted Conover. I think Ted Con- yeah Ted Conover where he went undercover at Sing Sing as a prison guard so I think that one is going to be kind of fun and interesting to compare with New Jack um second book on the New York Times list is Educated by Tara Westover which is a memoir about a young woman who grows up uh, to a survivalist family in rural Ohio um, who were basically like off the grid from the time she was born. Um, and that one has been, I feel like, on almost every best of the year list. Um, it's one of my favorites of the year for sure. Um, so I'm glad to see it featured because um, I think it's a little bit more popular fiction than or popular nonfiction than some other books might be. Um, the next one on the New York Times list is Ed- or Frederick Douglass by David W. Blight. And this is just a big biography of uh, Frederick Douglass. So um, I was going to look up and see how long it is, but I forgot before we started. But uh, so, yeah, this is sort of a comprehensive biography of Frederick Douglass, which I think is exciting that it's on the list and it'll be an interesting reading challenge for me. Um, the next one is another interesting one. It's called How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Um, the subtitle is What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence. And so for this book, Michael Pollan decides um, that he is going to look at the history and science of psychedelic drugs. So he um, also looks at our societal interest in them and some of that stuff. And I think he actually like takes acid as part of his reporting for the book. So that should be 
interesting, I guess. Uh, and then the final um, nonfiction book on the New York Times top 10 list is Small Fry, a memoir by Lisa Brennan Jobs. And this is a memoir that I feel like got a lot of buzz when it first came out, and then I didn't really hear anything about it anymore. Um, but she is the daughter of Steve Jobs, and so she is going to write uh, she, the memoir is uh, the story of her um, her two parents who were separated. So her uh, her mother, and then uh, who was an unstable and impoverished artist, and then her cruel and increasingly wealthy father, Steve Jobs. Um, and I feel like when this one came out, it was getting a lot of press because of the stuff it said about Jobs. But um, I hadn't really heard much about it since then. So um, that will be, I think, interesting as well. Um, and the Washington Post list is the one that seems just a little bit more. I feel like it just is a little bit, has a little more variety to it. I don't know. Maybe it's just more aligned with my personal reading tastes because um, actually I, I've read three of the books that are the nonfiction side. But anyway, um, so Washington Post, their f- first nonfiction book, Best of the Year, is Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger by Rebecca Twaste. Rebecca Traster, uh, which we have talked about on the podcast because I was really excited about it. I haven't gotten to read it yet, which is ridiculous, but uh, it's a good one. Um, the second one is The Library Book by Susan Orlean, which I also remember talking about on the podcast because I read it and I loved it. And it's a story of a, a 1986 fire at the Los Angeles Public Library that ruined or damaged a million books. Um, and so it's about that, but also kind of a love letter and essays about libraries. Um, the next one is The Line Becomes a River, Dispatches from the Border by Francisco Cantu, which I think we've both talked about. Um, it's a book about a young man who writes about his experiences as a border patrol agent in the American Southwest. So that's very, I think, timely to some of our political discussions lately. Uh, the next one is one that I had, I had totally missed totally miss this one. Um, It's called On Desperate Ground, The Marines at the Reservoir, The Korean War's Greatest Battle by Hampton Sides. And so this is a account of an unlikely survival amid horrifying carnage during the Korean War. Um, And it was about General Douglas MacArthur and something bad that he did during the Korean War. So um, I guess I understand why that one didn't catch my attention because I don't read a lot of like war nonfiction, but um, I'm Hampton Sides. I've I've heard his name before, and I'm, I've heard he's good. So that is that. And uh, the last one on the Washington Post list is One Person No Vote: How Voter Suppression Is Destroying Our Democracy by Carol Anderson, which is another one I know we've talked about before. Um, I read it during our uh, look at the National Book Award finalists, um, and so this is a book looking at voter suppression tactics since the 1965 Voting Rights Act passed and um, how those voter suppression tactics have reemerged since the Voting Rights Act was not completely renewed uh, in 2013, I believe, um, and how that, that voter suppression has affected democracy, which I think we've been seeing in the results of this year's um, midterm election. So another important political relevant book. So yeah, those are just 10 nonfiction books, five from the New York Times, five from the Washington Post that are, they believe, among the best of the year, um, which I think it's a pretty interesting selection and no repeats across the two lists, which I also think is super interesting. Um, there's a lot of good nonfiction out there to choose from for sure. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, I'm vaguely, like, well, vague, by vaguely, I mean weirdly proud of them for not having the same books. Uh I know, right? Yeah. yeah. Great job, guys. Um, so changing gears, if you will, uh, Pop Sugar's <laughs> Best Nonfiction Books for 2018. Um, again, um, it's got a really different vibe. Their books are very girl-centric, um, which 
all of them are by women, which I was really impressed by. And also it's a very um, – Mm-hmm. I want to say so. There, it's very aimed at their audience and people who are basically who could be their audience. So very much like targeted speaking to. And um, I think it's a really interesting sort of different mm-hmm. list. Um, to quote their opening, they said, "Just to clear up a common misconception, nonfiction is not synonymous with boring." Which, of course, is our Harold and Cry on this podcast. Nonfiction books are not all <laughs> tomes on dead presidents. In fact, nonfiction can be just as poetic, transportive, and exciting as novels. Which, Kim, when I saw the not all tomes on dead presidents, I thought of you immediately, of course. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, right? That's, of course, exactly what you want to avoid. Um, so I read some of these books, not all of them. But the first one is Tonight I'm Someone Else by Chelsea Hodson, which when I was looking at it, it has been basically lauded to the skies. And I um, I feel like it's missed a lot of um, – well, you know, it's missed lists like New York Times and Washington Post, but so have a lot of books. But essentially, so mm-hmm. starting with Hodson's own work experience, um, which uh, ranges from sort of like the mundane to the bizarre, including modeling and working on a NASA Mars mission. So she – expands outward and looks at these ways in which the human will submits, um, whether in the marketplace or in a relationship. So um, their their pitch is that it, this collection is relevant to anyone who's ever searched for what the self is worth, um, which, yeah, absolutely. Um, the second mm-hmm. one is You All Grow Up and Leave Me, a memoir of teenage obsession by Piper Weiss, which I think I talked about really early on this podcast. It's about that I so think so too. Yeah, who's like a tennis player in high school, and her coach. I mean, it's a, it's a true crime story, and so it's her kind of um, wrestling with her own feelings because she was not the favorite of this coach who ended up um, abducting another girl who he taught um, tennis, and so she, you know, he ends up um, dying during that whole attempt, and. Uh, her kind of like figuring this out and, you know, kind of feeling like weird and jealous about it, but also, you know, it's horrifying. So she's like exploring that. And it's it's really interesting. I, th- I think I sped through it. So again, that's You All Grow Up and Leave Me uh, by Piper Weiss. The next is uh, our favorite. I'm just going to say that. Uh, <laughs> I'll mm-hmm. Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. If you haven't already read it and you've listened to the podcast before, um, Maybe you'll never do it then, but you should, unless it's too scary, in which case, (laughs) don't. Um, I guess we should always say uh, a warning. It is very, very scary. It's um, anyone – I feel like I've heard people who have been full of misguided hubris and been like, oh, I'll be fine. And then (laughs) they read it at night when they're by themselves and they're like, oh, no. So uh, read it during the day, maybe in like a park. Oh, wait, it's December. Um. No, don't read don't, it. Oh, you're park, right. No. Well, I meant like you know, like a nice, fun park where there's like dogs and stuff that will protect you. Uh. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. There's a lot of serious stuff in this book. So read "I'll Be Gone in the Dark" by Michelle McNamara. It's great. Um. Another is "Would You Rather." A memoir of growing up and coming out by Katie Heaney, which is a uh, a collection of poignant, relatable essays from the author of Never Have I Ever, uh, which is about um, coming out in her late twenties, entering into her first relationship, and figuring out what it means to be an adult. All of these, by the way, have great covers, especially these essay collections, of which there are many. 
Mm-hmm. Um, another one is oh, sort of in the similar vein, except not gay as far as I know, is Choose Your Own Disaster by Dana Schwartz. Another great cover. So she basically goes on this journey to revisit all of the terrible decisions she made in her early 20s through uh, – Yeah, <laughs> oh, I know. God. So it's part memoir, part very long personality test. Like this whole book. So <laughs> – uh, basically, it's this manifesto about the uh, millennial experience and modern feminism and how um, this advice of you can be anything you want that we were all, well, I'm assuming most of us were told as children, as millennials, um, is actually really, really difficult when there are so many possible versions of yourself, it seems like you could be. So um, I've heard a lot of people actually talking about choose your own disaster. And it seems great. Um, another one has been on my radar because I really like true crime, but I have not read it yet. Dead Girls, Essays on Surviving an American Obsession by Alice Bolin. Um, it kind of looks into why our culture is so obsessed with dead girls, as kind of indicated by the title. It's weird, and we should probably look at ourselves and why we are so interested in this. Because it's definitely not dead guys. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? No, it's it's yeah. like I mean you can talk about sure like also yes but like it's very obviously slanted. So I'm glad that Alice Bolin wrote this book. Great job again. Dead Girls: Essays on Surviving an American Obsession. Um, the next is The Girl Who Smiled Beads: A Story of War and What Comes After by Clementine Wamaria. And because I haven't uh, I haven't read this one because it's been a tough year, guys, and I'm not looking for really depressing books right now. But um, if you have the fortitude right now to do that, absolutely read this. Again, it's one of those like best books of 2018, not just on Pop Sugar. It's been everywhere. Um, but Clem, it's very, I've, it's very good. I read it. It's it's excellent. It's very hard to read, but very, very good. Um, so, yeah. So I'm going to do like the little publisher breakdown in case people would like to know going in what it's about. Um, so basically Clementine or Clementine, not sure if she's got any French influence on her name. Anyway, she was six years old when her mother and father began to speak in whispers, when neighbors began to disappear, and when she heard the loud, ugly sounds her brother said were thunder. So in 1994, she and her 15-year-old sister Claire fled the Rwandan massacre and spent the next six years migrating through seven African countries, searching for safety, perpetually hungry, imprisoned, and abused, enduring and escaping refugee camps, finding unexpected kindness, witnessing inhuman cruelty, um, and they did not know whether their parents were dead or alive. So then when she was 12, she and her sister were granted refugee status in the U.S., and in Chicago, their lives diverged. Um, Basically, she provokes us to look beyond the label of victim and sort of recognize this power to transcend even the most profound injuries and aftershocks. So it it is, in fact, Kim, would you call it an affirming book in the end? Yeah, I think so. I mean, she talks about like the terrible experiences that she had and as a refugee, but um, she comes to the United States and becomes a a speaker and um, really is starting to like become yeah, I would I would say it ends in a hopeful way, certainly. Um, but she's she doesn't shy away from like the trauma that she experienced and continues to experience because of her time as a refugee. But yeah, um, yeah see, that is awesome. Um, 
Moving on to yet another, actually, no, the next essay collection is after this bin because the next one is Educated by Tara Westover. Again, um, this book, my book club is reading this next. So I'm very excited because absolutely every single person that I have heard talk about it is like, oh my gosh, Educated by Tara Westover. What a great book. Um, and of course, Kim, I know you're a fan. <laughs> so... Yeah, I'm really psyched about it. And every time I see it, I, it's actually on my Christmas list. So if you see my dad, give him a nudge. But um, yeah, I am uh, I'm psyched <laughs> to read it. So the next essay collection is Can You Tolerate This by Ashley Young. Another awesome cover. It's like pieces of cutout felt like stacked on top of each other in like these sort of hmm. like amorphous ovals. And they're really neat. Um, it probably actually makes huh. something, but maybe not. Anyway, it looks really cool. So this is this collection of essays on youth and aging, ambition and disappointment. Catherine Mansfield tourism, which is what sold it for me, and New Zealand punk rock. Oh, and the limitations of the body, of course. I have to talk about that. But um, <laughs> essentially, sorry, she. Uh, so the can you tolerate this title comes from the question chiropractors ask to test a patient's pain threshold. Uh-huh. which I thought was fascinating. But I am extraordinarily interested in Catherine Mansfield tourism because that's like that's like a deep cut of literary tourism <laughs> if you're looking at Catherine Mansfield stuff. So again, that is Can You Tolerate This by Ashley Young. And the last one, I was so happy this was on the list. It's Text Me When You Get Home, The Evolution and Triumph of Modern Female Friendship by Kayleen Schaefer, which just like... We've talked about this, like, aside from just, like, seeing this title. And I think you mm-hmm. read it or you checked it out from the library. I did, so, yeah. You're mm-hmm. such a good reader. Anyway, yep. so you did read harder. Um, anyway, it's, <laughs> no, I saw it in a bookstore. Anytime a friend says, text me when you get home, you feel loved and cared for. And it's just, like, the best phrase among friends. Um it's such an awesome title, and I'm really glad that I feel like growing up, even in the 90s, there was still this weird thing about like either women can't be friends or talking about how there aren't any like famous historical female friendships. And it's like, yeah, because you guys owned the printing presses and wouldn't write about them. Um, <laughs> so anytime I see a book about female friendship, I'm thrilled. Anyway, again, Text Me When You Get Home by Kayleen Schaefer. And thank you, Pop Sugar, for picking such an interesting array of books. Yeah, that was super interesting. That is a good list. Like some kind of upscale or like up cheerful kind of stuff, some like more serious stuff. Yeah, that's a really interesting good list. Um, So yeah, with that, we thought then we would transition into talking a little bit about some of our favorites that we have read this year. Um, Mine just happened to all be 2018 releases, but um, we were thinking kind of just more broadly the nonfiction we've read this year, what some of our favorites are. Um, And also trying not to repeat ones that we have already talked about. So Educated is on my list. Um, The Library Book is on my list. One Person No Vote is on my list too, but I wanted to talk about some that were a little different. Um, So yeah, so the first one uh, that's on my, what is one of my favorites of the year is All You Can Ever Know by by Nicole Chung. And this is a memoir about a young woman or uh, her, um, Nicole Chung is adopted uh, by a rural, um, 
a white rural, a white family living in rural Oregon. Oh my gosh, Kim. Um, and so the book is about as she um, is getting ready to have her first child, uh, deciding to reach out to her birth family and try to reconnect with them. Um, and so it's about the complexities of growing up as an Asian American person in a white community, a primarily white community, and then the complexities of connecting with her family. Um, and I thought it was just, it was really beautiful and well done and uh, very excellent. So my first favorite of the year was All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung. Oh, yes. We are alternating. Also, I did not know. Yes. Uh, I didn't get the are. memo that we were talking about books that we hadn't talked about before. So uh, are you, there, might, there might be some Oh, that's reads. okay. Oh, no. I just meant on – I just meant that we hadn't talked about on the podcast oh, already this yeah, time. Oh, yeah. 100%. Like in, in the other Fantastic. best of list. Thank you for yeah. that clarification. So – my first best read of 2018 is actually Impeachment in American History. Um, it has four different authors, um, but it's really short. Uh, I read it. It's probably like, I don't know, a little over 200 pages or something, but um, it basically goes over. I talked about it on the podcast previously because it goes through the history of the impeachments or, uh, you know, sort of like attempted impeachment. I think Sorry, my brain is suddenly scattered. It's about the impeachments of our American presidents. Um, and the thing that I really like about it, so obviously, you know, it talks about um, Clinton and Johnson and Nixon. Um, what I really liked about it was it gave me an actual informed opinion about the impeachment process. So when people are talking now about it, mm-hmm. I'm my my opinion is honestly right now that we probably shouldn't do it. And I think beforehand, I thought we definitely should. So it just talked about kind of the dangers of it and it being, you know, used as this political tool eventually, which is kind of what's happening now. Like it basically, you don't want to turn impeachment into a partisan tool because that is just this whole Pandora's box. Um, Mm -hmm. Should we stop using Pandora's box as a term because of feminism? I don't know, Kim. So... Essentially, it's really stuck with me every single time this topic of impeachment comes up. So um, it's definitely one of my favorite reads of 2018. Again, that is Impeachment and American History. Excellent. Um, So my next favorite of the year that I know I've talked about on the podcast a bunch before uh, is Bad Blood by John Cario, which is a uh, true crime business book about this company called Theranos that defrauded a ton of people uh, are claiming that they had this medical technology that could diagnose a bunch of different or run a bunch of tests on a single drop of blood. And so it's about the very charismatic young woman who founded and ran that company and how uh, her, the people advising her and and um, kind of the secretiveness of this company and how they were um, trying to intimidate employees and all of that stuff. And it is just like a bonkers, well-reported, super solid business true crime story. And it is very good, very page-turny. Um, I have recommended it to a ton of people and people have universally really liked it. So um, if you are interested, I think really, even if you're not super interested in business true crime, I think it's really fascinating anyway, just medical stuff and everything that went on with this company. Um, So that is Bad Blood by John Carriow. I'm not interested in uh, business true crime and I loved it after you recommended it. Mm. Uh, And it's, yeah, it's so good. And I'm really surprised it wasn't on any of those other top 10 list. I know, right? That's yeah. really weird because it's a great book. Um, so my second pick mm-hmm. is My Squirrel Days by Ellie Kemper. Um, my girlfriend and I were talking right before the podcast about, you know, that kind of what five people would you have to a dinner party question. And I am very stuck on the whole, like, they all have to somehow get along 
aspect of it. Like you can't just invite people and not think about their interactions with each other. That's not how a dinner party works. So um, Ellie Kemper is so fun and so funny. And I was like, I would absolutely invite her as one of my five people because she would like get Charles Dickens to like get along with Patrick Dennis. And like, then of course, Francis Willard would be there and she would like make jokes with Francis Willard, who's like kind of serious. Like it would be great. Anyway, my squirrel days, I laughed so hard through so much of it. And it was just this amazing little breath of fresh air and comic relief and whatever. Um, I loved it. So again, my squirrel days by Ellie Kemper. Excellent. I have that one queued up for my next audiobook. I'm really excited about it. Um, so my third pick is uh, it's called Tell Me More by Kelly Corrigan. And this is a uh, really kind of short collection of essays all about the difficult conversations that we need to have with people in our lives and the different difficult things that we try to say to them. And um, she's really funny. She has this very... Um, very specific writing style. So every joke that she makes is like, it just is so, it's so specific and it's so funny to read, but then also like, she just like gets you. And I, um, I was reading this and I was laughing and I was having fun, but I was like touched by a lot of these essays and feeling really connected with it. And then there was one at the end that I just, it just like hit me right. Like a punch in the face because it was just so emotional and so good. And I just sobbed through the whole thing. And I just, I loved that reading experience, um, which is so weird to like say, but everyone's like, you just need that. And I just thought it was really moving and wonderful. Um, so this like very funny, but also very emotionally touching um, essay collection from very early in the year, I'm pretty sure. Um, that is Tell Me More by That's Kelly so Corrigan. Nice. It's true. Sometimes when you cry a lot That's through a book, you're like, I love that book forever now. Um, mm-hmm. awesome. Yep. Yeah. My, uh, my next pick is The Real Lolita, The Kidnapping of Sally Horner and the Novel That Scandalized the World by Sarah Weinman. So this is Sarah Weinman kind of looked into who Lolita from Nabokov's novel Lolita actually was, which, and she was like pretty convinced at the time when she was starting it that, um, that Lolita was based on this girl, Sally Horner, who had been, uh, kidnapped and eventually recovered but um then later uh has a sort of tragic ending so in general her her life was this very sad sort of state of affairs and in lolita there's a little bit of humanity given to lolita at the very end because of course the novel is narrated by humbert humbert but this really kind of um i always kind of look at this as this sort of um not redemption, but like basically Lolita finally gets her chance to like talk, like speak her piece. And like, it, it feels very satisfying in that respect. So I really, really liked it. Um, it is a little bit difficult to read, but it's still, cause you know, it's, it's a very sad story, but overall, like Sarah Weinman's a fantastic writer and it's a great piece of true crime. So the real Lolita, the kidnapping of Sally Horner and the novel that scandalized the world by Sarah Weinman. Excellent. Yeah, I remember. I feel like that was on the Book Expo editor's buzz list as being a big book of the year, too. So that's exciting. Um, So the fourth one I want to talk about is one of my favorites is another one where you just need sort of like a bright, fresh, like fun 
thing to distract you when things are rough. And it's called From the Corner of the Oval by Beck Dory Stein. Uh, and this is about, it's a memoir by a young woman who was um, a stenographer in the Obama White House. So she talks about getting her job as a stenographer, traveling with the president and his staff and entourage out to different places in the world. Um, but there's also like these really frothy parts about this really kind of complicated relationship she was having and her boyfriend at the time and this affair she was having with another very charming White House staffer. And so it's a political memoir, but it's really more just about like this young woman and her experience. And she just happens to be having these experiences as a young 20 something against the backdrop of the White House and traveling the world and all these really exciting things. Um, so it's one of those like nostalgic Obama administration memoirs that I really love, but also just like funny and light and um, very, I saw one place that called it like a Bridget Jones's diary kind of White House story, which I think they meant in a negative way, but I think is really kind of a positive description of it. Um, I thought it was really charming and fun. So um, that was From the Corner of the Oval by Beck Dory Stein. Can you believe Obama left in 2017? I know. Okay, moving on. So uh, the next pick is Bombay Anna, The Real Story and Remarkable Adventures of the King and I Governess by Susan Morgan. I really, really enjoyed this book. So I really love The King and I. It's a little bit problematic, which is why you want to read Bombay Anna by Susan Morgan, (laughs) because she goes into who she actually was, which it turns out is not this like you know, colonizing white lady coming to Thailand at the time, Siam, to be like, here, I will teach you all and I will educate the king and then he will be this great king. No. Bombay Anna, uh, Anna Leon Owens, was in fact the daughter of, yeah, this like Welsh father, but her mother was Indian. And then she just lied a lot in order to get a good job. <laughs> and so... She, yeah, because she was like, I'm from, you know, England and this proper English lady. And it's like, no, you were born in Bombay and you are Indian. That is awesome. But you can't own up to it now because of society. I understand. (laughs) Anyway, it's a really good book. She's brilliant and had so many things going on in her life. And like, gosh, talking about it now makes me want to reread it. I really liked it. It's pretty short. So if you're just like, I would like the background on The King and I, and then I'd maybe like to go watch The King and I, because I did that a lot while reading this book, (laughs) then uh, read Bombay Anna by Susan Morgan. Excellent. That's very enthusiastic endorsement. I like it. Um, and so my final for, we're just doing five each. So the last one I want to talk about is, uh, no one tells you this by Glennis McNichol. Um, and this is another memoir. Um, Glennis McNichol is writing about the year she turned 40 and how when she turned 40, she was not in a relationship and she did not have any children. And so what being 40 and single and childless, was like for her and how difficult it was and some of the experiences she had trying to come up with a story for her life that didn't involve the two things that like women for all of time basically have been told like this is what a successful and full life looks like is being married with children or married or whatever um and so she's she's writing this memoir about kind of the year she tried to figure out like what does my life look like without those things? What is what happens to me in that area? And um, I just I it was one of those books that for me like hit, and I read it exactly at the moment I should read it. And I just I, I there was so much in it that really resonated with me and that um, uh, made me think and made me wanna. I finished it and I almost like picked it up and just started reading it from the beginning again. Like, and I may actually read it reread it again before the year is out because it just. 
it just hit exactly when I needed to read it. Um, and I really loved it very much. So that is No One Tells You This by Glennis McNichol. Kim, that was such a good pitch. <laughs> Yay. Now I want to read it. Okay. Um, so my last pick for 2018 in our final episode of the year Ooh. is, uh, I've talked about this book a few times, is The Scarlet Sisters, Sex, Suffrage, and Scandal in the Gilded Age by Myra McPherson. It's a really fun book. Look at the subtitle. Um, so essentially, this is about Victoria Woodhull and her sister, Tennessee Claflin, and how they were mediums, and they were the first women stockbrokers on Wall Street, and Victoria Woodhull, of course, was the first woman to run for president. Um just a lot of stuff that they, again, um, again, because I've said this before, did um, in like a span of something like four years. And then they married British royalty or aristocracy people <laughs> and moved to very fancy houses in England. So I don't really get their lives, but I enjoyed reading about them. <laughs> so that is The Scarlet Sisters, Sex, Suffrage, and Scandal in the Gilded Age by Myra McPherson. That is an excellent title and subtitle. Like sex, suffrage, and scandal are like, that's perfect. Like great alliteration, a great choice of adjectives. Excellent. Woo. So that is a lot of awesome books that I, like I, we must have talked about like 20 in just like the span of that whole like best of books and our favorites of the year, which is just ridiculous. So awesome. There are so many good books out there. I hope you can find an awesome one, dear listeners. Uh, and we are going to close this week's podcast as we usually do talking about what we are reading right at this very moment. Um, and so I am actually, uh, just started this, uh, it's kind of an academic nonfiction book called Left to Our Own Devices, Outsmarting Smart Technology to Reclaim Our Relationships, Health, and Focus by Margaret Morris. And it came out December, it's coming out December 10th from MIT Press. Uh, and this is a book, I, so I love reading books about um, technology and devices and how they're changing the way that we interact with people and the way we read and the way that we interact with the world. Like, I just find that really fascinating and interesting. Um, and so this book is looking at how different technology can affect our relationships. And so the chapter I just finished was about how um, people have used smart lights as a way of um, connecting with other people. So they had these stories about like um, when one parent wanted to signal to their kid that they needed to come down for dinner or something, they would use the smart light setting on their phones to change the light in the kid's bedroom so that the kid would know it's time to come down and eat dinner. Or people who are um, in long distance relationships record it or programming each other's phones to manage the smart lights in their other apartments that's so they can signal to each other in different ways. Um, and so the book is all just about these different ways that new technologies can be used to foster connections, um, which I think is really interesting. So I'm excited to get into that one a little bit more and see what other technology she wants to talk about. Cause, um, I just, it's an interesting, interesting topic for me. Uh, so that is left to our own devices, outsmarting, outsmarting smart technology to reclaim our relationships, health and focus by Margaret Morris. Um, great job closing out the year with smart books. Uh, my <laughs> two reads right now are Lady Killers, Deadly Women Throughout History by Tori Telfer. Um, they, I just read a chapter on Daria Saltikova, this Russian aristocracy noblewoman person. And uh, she made me because she murdered a bunch of serfs in a really horrible way. And Catherine the Great, who had just become empress, was like, hey, we're an enlightened people now. You can't do that. <laughs> so now I want to read about Catherine the Great. But um, I'm also reading The Magnolia Story by Chip and Joanna Gaines. So everyone can just deal with that because that's how I'm ending my year. Do you like it so far? It's fine. I I like their 
vibe, I guess. I'm very puzzled by their lives and what's going on, but I really like their show. So um, it seemed like an easy read. Yeah. So I decided to get it from the library. And here we are. I think that sounds like a perfectly reasonable way to end the year. Uh, and so with that, that is our last podcast of 2018 um, because Book Riot is taking the week of Christmas off. And since Christmas Day is when we were scheduled to next have a podcast, they have given us the week off. So we're actually the last time you'll hear from us in 2018. Um, it's been a really fun, uh, not quite full year of the podcast, I would say. Yeah, because what, we started in like March or something? Mm-hmm. Something yep. along those lines? Yeah, so thank you for uh, listening, for rating, reviewing, subscribing. Um, all of that has been amazing, and um, we're, we've been so happy to hear from yeah. you guys via email or online. Um, yeah, so speaking of, if you want to tell Kim which Jane Austen novel to read first, <laughs> you can- you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Yes, that is me. I'm going to get so many Jane Austen things, I bet. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, if you like the podcast, you can uh, rate and review it on iTunes, which is a way that helps people find the podcast more easily. Uh, and while you're there, you can also subscribe so that you can get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we want to thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.